Welcome to the Grad School Femtoring Podcast, the place for first-gen students of color to prepare for grad school. This is Dr. Yvette Martinez Fu, and I will be serving as your femtor, providing you with tips and tricks and everything else you need to know to get into and successfully navigate grad school. For over 10 years, I've been helping first-gen students of color get into top grad programs in their field, and I'm really excited to support you on your academic journey too. All right, welcome everyone. Today we have another awesome guest speaker. I'm really excited because I feel like it's about time that I've had this person on the podcast. Um, we have Dr. Cesare Garcia del Muro, who's gonna be talking to us all about preparing academic writing. And I'm excited because I feel like some of the work that we do is very parallel. And so when I, you know, on social media, sometimes I see you like we're in like similar kind of spaces and. I think it's important for the folks who listen to this podcast to, if they haven't been introduced to you, to get to know you, your work, and you know your expertise in specifically academic writing, among I'm sure many other topics. So we'll get started with um, me reading your bio. Dr. Cesare Garcia del Muro is co-founder of Latinx Education Coach, a business that serves first-generation people of color with writing, academic, and professional skill development through workshops, coaching, and editing services. She is a multi-generational Latina of Mexican and Native American descent. As an LA County native, she was raised in Baldwin Park, California. I know that area. <laughs> I used to live in Inglewood, by the way. <laughs> uh, she was raised um, in Baldwin Park by a working class family. Dr. Del Muro is a first-generation high school and university graduate. UC Irvine Anteater, Arizona State University Sun Devil, and a UCLA Bruin. Woo -woo. <laughs> uh, so we're both, that's awesome. We, we have um, UCLA in common. And then um, just to wrap things up, Dr. Del Muro's experience um, includes teaching English to sixth, seventh, ninth, 11th, and 12th graders. Um, she has experience with English language development, English as a second language, Given her struggles with mastering English as a native speaker and seeing friends, family, and students struggle too, Dr. Del Muro knows how important it is to have an instructor who behaves more like a coach, providing constructive, clear feedback. I can't agree more. So welcome to the podcast, Dr. Del Muro, or doctora. <laughs> Thank you so much. It's exciting to be on this podcast. And like you had mentioned, uh, it's there's similar like circles on social media and it's been such an amazing journey to be able to start the Latinx Education Coach and meet other Latinx who are doing this awesome work and everyone has like their own specialty but we're all in the same universe right. and I it's been just I think not only is it great because we're helping other people but I also think it's very reaffirming to ourselves to see other people doing this work so this means a lot to me thank you for having me of course thank you for coming so um we'll have you get started with sharing a little bit more about yourself your background backstory your ed educational and career trajectory essentially anything you're comfortable sharing about how you got to where you are today so i like to start at the beginning i definitely um was different growing up compared to my peers. I grew up in Bowdoin Park, which is a very heavily Latinx 
demographic area, but most people were first gen. <clears throat> and I was first gen college going, but multi-generational. And it was really an interesting experience because I never met anybody else who was like me. I always felt like I was the outsider, especially because I didn't speak Spanish. And I'm very upfront about that. I have attempted to learn it, but it just does not come as easily. I still haven't given up, but it just, I've accepted it's probably never gonna just flow. It, it takes work. Some of us learn Spanish and it's still the flow. <laughs> like me. Like, it's gonna be choppy, but I'm trying. Um, but it was like I was the one kid that like didn't have the language and but English came really easily. And that's always been like the area that has been just kind of natural all the way up until like college. Uh, but we'll save that story till we get there. So my family was very heavily gang affiliated. And I was the only one in my family because I was the baby of everyone that like school was fun and exciting and I loved it. Nobody else felt that way. My mom and dad were very supportive, really were excited to see me do academically well, but didn't really know how far it was going to take me. So I definitely like think that they were like, yeah, she's going to graduate high school. But when it came time to go to college, it was like, whoa, like we didn't know that that was an option, but cool, we're with you. So I feel like they went through the process with me. They weren't against it, but they just didn't know what all the avenues were either. So we kind of figured it out together. Um, but being the first in my family to go, I really had aspirations that by me going to college, I was somehow going to break generational cycles and everybody would follow suit. That's not what happened. That's still not what's happened. Um, I found that working with people who are not my family, they're way more inclined to listen to me. <laughs> oh my <laughs> gosh, same. Sorry, you just named something that's like so true to me too go ahead sorry yeah no I mean it's it's and you know what the reason why I bring this up is because I'm very certain that there are other people who are experiencing this because I've engaged in many conversations especially while coaching where people are going through changes with their family because they have now gone to college um typically it doesn't have to do with them per se but it's the way that they're being perceived now now that they return back home or back to their communities. So I think that's a really important piece that people probably should talk about more um, if you've experienced it, because there's other people who are struggling going through it. And it's taken a long time to realize like why it happens that way. And I'm sure everybody's family dynamics are different, but what I ended up realizing is that I needed to, if they weren't going to necessarily change, the only thing that I could change is myself. And I needed to heal for them <laughs> and all the generations that came before. So I did a lot of um, really taking steps back to learn how to create boundaries, going and seeking therapy. Um, and, you know, that wasn't looked, even though I'm multi-gen, it still wasn't like, oh my gosh, therapy's good. It's like, ugh, like there's a stigma around it. There just is. Um, but I realized that there's no way 
that I'm going to be an effective teacher or, you know, educator in general, if you don't self-care and dealing with all the extra baggage of being a person of color who's in education, that's heavy. And it does take having that support system to get through it. So I came from humble beginnings. My dad works in construction um, and he would come to school when I was little, like totally in his construction, like he does concrete, so his boots and everything. And I was always so proud of him for showing up in these spaces. And he never thought twice about it. He would just come because I asked him to be there and he was there. Um, but as I got older, when I got into UC Irvine, I didn't realize how different the environment was going to be very, very, I mean, this was before UCI was a Hispanic serving institution. I could go all day long without seeing anybody who looked like me. And I definitely got, I mean, I got comments when I was little, like, oh my gosh, your dad, he looks like a cholo. Like, is he? I'm like, well, yeah. I mean, if he looks like one, then he probably is one. <laughs> I was like, I mean, yeah, but what, what, what did you think my dad was going to look like? Like, you know, because they see me being studious or academic and even at times a nerd like my dad doesn't look like me and he doesn't have to um and I it, that stigma continued into college but I think what was really important for me is I was never going to be ashamed of my family um my dad worked really hard to get me there and you know if you have a problem with it then that's something that you need to deal with um so in that way I would say that I, it was a different experience because my husband's first gen, like first gen, first gen. <laughs> Not so like first gen in college and first gen in the yeah. US. <laughs> okay. So like his, his parents, were, it was a very different experience because, you know, I, I saw that there was like a, a duality he, with his parents because his dad had come from Mexico. He worked in the service uh, restaurant industry him coming into these spaces, it was like, oh, your dad, how sweet. Were mine because he looked the way that he did. People were like, oh, you know, like he's scary. Uh, so because of all these experiences, it's always been really, really a big part of um, what I do is to give back to the formerly incarcerated and to make sure that our Latino males mm -hmm. also have supports because I've been very fortunate as a Latina to have supports to see other Latinas. I mean, there might not be a ton of us, but there's a significant mm -hmm. amount where like, I don't feel like I've never seen one, but whereas I see like my husband and other Latinos, there's a lot fewer representation models for them. And uh, although I can't be a Latino male, I could at least create space for them so that they feel comfortable in my classroom um, and they feel comfortable seeking support. So that's all, that's a little side thing that I always like that they're big on my heart. And I hope that there's my goal at some point with having my husband be a part of the Latinx education coach is that he can run um, like male affinity groups nice. at some point where they have someone who, you know, shares their common background. Um, so that's the goal. Right now, a lot of the doctoras that I work with are just 
women and that's great. I'm so excited to have them, but I'm sure that there's males <laughs> and they're not like showing up for supports. And I'm like, where are they? We need to find them. Nice. Um, so that's definitely on my heart as a next step in the future. So, um, but that's a little bit about my background. It was, it, it was an interesting, I think growing up in like the nineties, two thousands, it was just very different um, in our experience going to college. Cause I feel like the diet, the demographics have changed significantly. Yeah, have. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I talked to some sorority members at UCI recently and they're feeling a lot of the same things that I felt. So, I mean, it's not over, it's getting yeah. better. At least you could see other people who look like you on campus, but a lot of those same struggles are there. Um, and that's why we're here to do the work that we do. Yeah, I was going to say the, the demographics may change, but the culture sure doesn't. And, you know, white supremacy continues to be a thing, even at HSIs. So, yeah, it's important to have folks like us, to have more representation, to have more support. And then I'm glad that you actually mentioned kind of your experience with, you know, the discrimination that you felt just be based on the way that your father looked and wanting to support kind of formerly incarcerated individuals. It, I, I really do think there is this movement that's growing because I worked with formerly incarcerated students when I worked for the McNair program and I had students who were working on the underground scholars program and kind of trying to like, trying to um, develop it into a network to develop programs across the UC and hopefully nationwide. So I think it's it's a thing and it's happening and we need more of it. And I'm glad that we have folks like you and myself and just all these other folks who are willing to be there for them and, and to, um, yeah, shed light on that too. So I, I just want to do a quick shout out to, to Flacco and Gilbert, two of my former students. They might be listening to the podcast just to say that we, we've got people out there like Dr. Del Muro who, you know, or who are happy to provide support. So thank you for sharing a little bit more about your, your backstory. So today you want you are on the podcast to talk about academic writing. So I wanted to ask you a little bit more about that, about, you know, why this topic, why is this, you know, important to you and, and yeah, you know, what would you like to share with, with the audience about academic writing and how to prepare for, for writing? So I talk about my dad because I knew that we were going to talk about this. And my dad has always struggled with literacy. A lot of the men in my family have. Um, and to surpass your parents' literacy levels very early on is a is a unique experience. It's bittersweet because it's like, yeah, like you're academically achieving, but at the same time, it's like you almost feel bad because it's like I don't want to go beyond my parents but um they end up needing you because you're able to access things that they can't because you're more literate so after I got into teaching and really started learning more about the research on literacy rates etc I was very taken aback by how many people who were incarcerated had very limited literacy levels. Um, and that really pushed me to want to get into teaching English. Um, originally, I had been in science, which was awesome. I learned. Um, and I definitely use a lot of that background when I teach English. But um, 
it wasn't my passion. And I knew that originally back in the day when I was at UCI, I thought I was going to be a lawyer. That is not what ended up happening. George, actually, my husband was also pre-law and we are both now teachers. (laughs) Wow. (laughs) That's a very big switch, but it all was because a mentor of mine knew how passionate I was about seeking, um, like originally, if I would have done this law thing, I would have been in criminal justice and I really wanted to seek justice. And my mentor at UCI was like, well, why don't you consider education? Because you can get to these kids earlier. You can, you know, be of more service if you got to them younger than if you got to them already in trouble. And I was like, well, that makes sense. So then I considered it and I did teach and I was placed in science because there was a need for science. And I happened to have enough credits that I qualified. I was like, so I ended up in science. But the truth is English is where my heart was. And knowing that literacy rates are super important, um, that's been my passion in trying to get my students to be as strong in their reading, writing and speaking as possible. Now let's fast forward. I've been doing this. I've been in education for 14 years. I started at 21. It's been a long time. Um, And now I've been able to see how critical writing is at every single step of career as well as schooling. If you wanna get from high school to college, you gotta write a personal statement. You wanna get a college to grad school, you gotta write a personal statement. They may even ask for a resume. You wanna go beyond that, you know, you got all these more, these things coming, um, resumes, cover letters, personal statements, your master's thesis, your doctoral dissertation, all of these writings that are so critical that your future hinges on and in my experience, going to seek support from writing centers, one, I didn't see not one person who looked like me. Mm-hmm, same. Two, if I got help, like they would tear my paper up and I would see like, oh my gosh, it's all red, which is overwhelming. And then two, they're telling me like, for example, you're ending in a prepositional phrase. Well, what's a prepositional phrase? One, and two, how do I fix that? So you're telling me that you're you're explaining what it is, but you're not telling me like, what does that actually mean and how do I fix it? And that became extremely frustrating. I felt like seeking these supports and having them do that to me just didn't get me out of the rut that I was in. And that was what I felt as an undergrad. So now like that I'm much older, it's like, yeah, because they didn't teach it. They didn't, they're not going to teach you how to do these things. They're not going to actually fill the holes in your knowledge they're just going to say what it is. And it's up to you to either one, go teach yourself or two, go back to like a remedial class or something like that. And who has time for that? Um, sometimes you just need someone who's going to help get you unstuck and show you how to do that. So that's where the idea of the Latinx education coach came through. I was like, you know what? One, I know that more people need to have access to someone who looks like them and potentially shares their background who knows how to write that can give them editing services but not only editing services if they need um like actual coaching like let me show you how to make your writing better i could do that as well um we started a year ago at first i was like you know what even if one person comes at least we help somebody and i was very surprised when we opened up that we would have 
such a following very early, like in one year, I've had clients every week. And it's been really amazing to see like, wow, like we were really needed. And people who I've met, like, it's definitely not a transaction type relationship. It's we've actually get to know them and see them do whatever it is that they're trying to do. So if they're applying to grad school, they'll follow up with, hey, we got in or whatever. And if they're like applying for the job, same thing. Um, we're building these relationships. And I hope that it's not just like, hey, Dr. Delamuro edited for me, but also like, I know how to fix this big issue in my writing so it can get, so I can be stronger. Um, it's that whole idea of like teaching someone how to fish versus just giving them the bread um, or giving them the fish. <laughs> I'm mixing up two parables. <laughs> but you know what I mean? Like we gotta, we gotta I got you. <laughs> you know what to do. Um, but yeah, it's been so like now the Latinx education coach not only does editing services, but we provide workshops. Um, we recently did a three-day seminar collaborating with Theta Pause Counseling and a bunch of other really amazing Latinx mental health and academic leaders that are on social media um, to host this What I Wish I Knew During College seminar. And that was awesome. We've done an in-person retreat and they've all been awesome experiences. And we've had like luckily three partner organizations reach out that want to partner with us for this upcoming year. And it just feels like a really big blessing and affirmation that like we're definitely needed because I don't know how many times I've sat in a meeting and have listened to someone teach me something where I'm like, one, you're not even of that background. Two, like, I don't really understand how you know this better than I do when I lived it. Like we could be up there giving this presentation. Right. We could be up there leading. And that always bugged me, like mm -hmm. as a teacher, like, oh, I was like, these workshops should be like hosted by ourselves. So I'm like, well, you know, I can't just see that we have to be about it. So that's hopefully what we're able to do with the Latinx education coach, be able to take up the spaces that should be coming from people who have that background knowledge, who have that experience. And luckily we've had people who are willing to take a chance on our small business and invite us to lead these workshops and and they've been good and our feedback from them has been like it's been very heartwarming because I'm like man yes like we're doing this is this is why I got into teaching this is why I got into education was to make sure that we're having an impact on our community that's really awesome um it just reminds me of also similarly like that's why I do what I do with you know the academic coaching with doing workshops and talks it's it's the connections that you make with people it's the feedback that you get it's the way that I feel like I always get a high off of every opportunity um and it's like not only are you giving back but they're like giving so much to you as well so um that's really awesome that the it's been a year and already you've seen kind of so much growth and that there it continues to be a need and like you I've had similar experiences where I've gone to things and I'm like you don't look like me you don't talk like me you don't explain what you mean I'm going home and googling things instead <laughs> and just out of that frustration of constantly having to look things up myself not like not understanding acronyms not just feeling like they spoke another language even though they were speaking English um, 
out of that frustration, kind of wanting to start the podcast, wanting to demystify a lot of things about higher ed, about academia that I didn't come easy to me. So I think we, we, we share in, in that kind of frustration, which has led to our uh, projects and businesses. So um, one thing I, I want to mention is that this podcast episode is coming out the week of, um, of Christmas Eve. And I know that some folks might not be able to take a full winter break. They might have grad school ops that they have to finish a thesis or dissertation that they're still working on. And so writing continues to be a thing. Like you said, it's, it's never really going to go away. You're always going to need to write, whether it's for an application or something that comes up, uh, you know, throughout your career. So what kind of um, advice might you give to folks who have some writing to do on the holidays, how to prepare for that, how to tackle it um, as they try to balance that with the holidays? So I think everybody, when it comes to academic writing, everybody is different. So please, number one, do not compare yourself to anybody else. Only you know yourself. I was that kid in the middle of big family parties doing homework, but I liked it. Like I liked knowing everybody was around me doing their thing. I could see them, but I could also focus and write. Not everybody's like that. Some people need to just be in the room by themselves where it's quiet. So be honest with yourself about what kind of writer you are. If you can be in the mix and write, then do it. If you know that you're better off by yourself or somewhere where it's more quiet or quieter, then what I suggest is try to write before the function. So if you can knock out like an hour or two before the function, go to the function because your brain needs a brain break. Uh, you cannot, I, you don't know how many people I meet who are trying to pound it out in like one day and it's like, that's not how writing works. If no one's told you that or you have not accepted that yet, you need to understand that it comes in waves. So when you feel like you have the ability to write, write. When you don't, that's a sign that you need to unplug, go hang out with your family, recharge, and then come back to it when you're ready. Sometimes I would do it in the morning. I would go to the party and have fun. And if I still had a little bit of energy, I would come back and knock out like another hour or two. Um, Cause I tend to really like writing either in the morning or super late at night, I'm a night owl. And even as an editor, these are things that I do. Like editing is the same idea. I have to read, I have to understand what this is doing and then start cleaning it up. I like to do this in different parts of my house. So if you need to move around, that's also totally normal. So number two, it's okay to move spaces. So if you like writing on your couch, write on your couch. And I know a lot of people like, they glamorize writing the process like, oh, I have this beautiful desk. And this oh is my gosh, yes. And that's why <laughs> I never do those videos because I'm like, I don't write beautifully. Like I, I don't either. I write everywhere and it's a mess. <laughs> it's, like, it's never pretty. Like I'm writing on the couch with pillows all over or I'm like on my bed. I've got my kid yelling on the side. <laughs> I was like, that's not real life. So I hope that like, if I could dispel any, you know, false ideas of writing number two is like it's okay to move around and three is it's okay if your space is not cute um and I would say if sometimes if you are stuck the last tip I would give you especially during the holidays if you're like man I just can't write a couple things that I would do is like organize if you can organize yourself that'll at least get you cleaned up so you can write 
Can you um, give us an example of like what you mean by get organized? Yeah. yeah. So like if your space is cluttered and you're like, oh, it's just like driving me nuts, then clean it. That's fine. The other idea with organizing is if you have a bunch of files on your desktop, if you have like, say if you're in the middle of dissertation writing and you're like, oh my God, I just can't write one more word, then maybe it's time to start cleaning up your bibliography. Maybe it's time to like make sure that your articles are better organized in Zotero or whatever format you're keeping them organized. There's other little tasks you can do that are still chipping away at the process, but it might not necessarily be writing. So organization looks different. Some people, I've known people that like hardcore start baking and it just makes them feel better. And then they get into writing. There's no right or wrong way but it's just really being honest and in tune with yourself. Like, what is it that you need so you can at some point get back to writing? Um, because otherwise you're going to be miserable. And writing shouldn't be, I mean, yes, there are moments when it's like you just have to do it. But for the most part, especially for my dissertation and master's thesis people listening, it's a long journey. So you cannot make it miserable. You will be unhappy for a really long time so things that make it a little happier making sure you go to those family functions um I never missed one while I was writing my doctoral dissertation but that meant that I planned for that so I would say okay well that's your treat I'm gonna write these days and then that's my fun time and I'm free uh and I just knew that my brain couldn't handle going any harder than that that's 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 too much it's just physically mentally and emotionally not healthy you need to make sure that you're interacting with other people and aren't isolating so i hope that that helps over the holidays if your heart's like just needing family or needing friends or those connections please connect with them because the writing will be there when you're done and at least if you nourish your soul you'll come back to it in a better spirit those are really great um, words of advice, which actually leads me to the, the second to last question. We're getting ready to wrap up is, you know, what what other kind of tips or advice or words of wisdom would you want to share with um, any of my listeners who they're predominantly in undergrad or in grad school? So an undergrad thinking about going to grad school or in grad school trying to wrap up their master's or um, continue on with their um with their PhD uh, programs? If writing is an area that you would like to get stronger in, the tips of advice that I would give you that I used, um, and mind you, this was without going to a writing center because I just didn't feel like that was gonna meet my need. I actually started voluntarily writing for a blog. So back in the day, it was called being Latino blog. I think they've now changed their name. Um, but I was writing for them. And that was an awesome opportunity to get my writing edited on a weekly basis by Latinx editors um, that I knew were giving me feedback that was going to help me. And what's really inspiring about that is the main editor ended up becoming a PhD from Columbia and now as a professor at UCI, which is my undergrad. So like we still follow each other on social media and I love seeing all the things that she's doing, but I had to tell her, I was like, I hope you know, like what a significant impact you had on me because getting that regular editing from somebody that I felt comfortable receiving that feedback was a big deal. The other thing is I had started a blog 
a long time ago. It no longer exists, but I used it as an opportunity to just practice writing. So if writing really is something that you feel like you want to continue to get better at, you just need to find avenues that they don't always have to be serious. They could be creative, like a blog, but if you see it as an opportunity, this is my way of like continuing to strengthen my writing skills. The more you write, the better you are. Um, And I know there's a lot of people who are entering graduate school and are like, man, I need like academic writing support. How do I do that? Um, My goal is to have writing workshops at some point because I know that that's what everyone's asking for. And I'm like, yeah, I don't really see like many people like you could go on Khan Academy and that's free. And I mean, I would say if you have nothing else, like definitely check it out. The only bad thing is they tell you, like they teach, they teach you grammar from the beginning to the end and not everybody needs every single piece. I really am trying to narrow down what are the biggest things you need to be able to be a better academic writer. And I promise you that is something that I'm working on. But for now, if you have nothing, look at Khan Academy. I also encourage you to look up grammar questions on Grammarly Girl or Grammar Girl. Um, her stuff is pretty good. Um, but really, yeah, unfortunately, it's like a lot of self-teaching that I've found. It, it's not really anybody holding your hand. For my doctoral students, though, if you're listening, or even masters, if it if, if this applies to you, in the my business's way of giving back is that I coach for free twice a month anyone who's a doctoral student or a master's student um, in writing. So I give you one writing lesson. And these are all lessons that I feel are like the most important that'll really make a difference in your writing. Um, And we do this twice a month, same topic, just we have one meeting on Thursday and one on Saturdays, because I know people's schedules um, need a little bit of flexibility. But that's been really helpful, because that's where I'm like, that's the way that I'm testing out all of my writing. Plus I love giving back and that's how we're building community. But at some point, a lot of what I'm teaching in this, I hope to put into a full-blown workshop. But if you need help right now, you can jump into our coaching group, totally free, no strings attached. It's just so we have a space to be able to build community because as you know, Dr. Martinez Wu, is that we only have 1% of all doctoral degree holders as Latinx, and that's a problem. So we need to get as many of these people who are doctoral dissertation students from ABD to complete, and that's how I hope to be able to support by getting them through these writing hurdles, and I think just hearing from other people say like what they're going through or how they organize themselves or, you know, same thing like what am I going to do over the holidays when my family wants my attention and I have to write all those conversations we can have in this safe space so if you'd like to join you're more than welcome to so that that is amazing that's so awesome that you do that I might like try to do something like that or just chat with you to be like hey (laughs) can I join because I love that Um, I think a lot of folks are in need of support and they need more than just like listening to a podcast or reading a book they need like live someone that they can ask a question to not mind teaming up with you you (laughs) no it's it's like I actually didn't know as much about your your coaching I 
I think I was familiar, but I didn't know that that was what you focused on. And that's what a lot of folks come to me for. It's so funny. Like, it's not something that I'm really like um, actively um, doing kind of marketing or outreach for, but a lot of folks come to me for academic coaching on their writing. Like they need someone to show them how to do the things. They need someone to teach them the rules and not just say, this is this, this is this. And they need someone to support them and tell them what they're doing right too. Um, Mm -hmm. So it's just nice to have some, because in my background, I have a a bachelor's in English literature. My PhD is in theater. So I'm a humanist. I've been doing writing. um, You know, I I worked, you know, um, at a scholarship center, helping people with their, with their essays and um, just have, have been, really committed to helping people with their writing. So I think we have a lot in common and I would love to include your links. So, you know, the links to how to sign up for your free coaching sessions, any of the other resources that you shared, like Grammar Girl, like Khan Academy, so that folks can, who are, you know, really interested in strengthening their writing. I think it's a skill that's going to be with you for the rest of your life. Like I don't regret getting my, you know, degrees in the humanities because I feel like it just keeps kind of coming back um and uh, helping me with every stage of my kind of career transitions and I know for you too because you're you know you've got you're teaching English actually and um in high school and then you're doing the workshops and then you've got your business so you've got a lot (laughs) yes and I have a baby she's seven months she just turned seven months wait she's She's little. Oh, my, my baby. Is, I have two, but my baby baby is um, one. So oh. you have a seven month old. Oh, my goodness. Um, yeah, yeah. <laughs> we can chat about that separately. That's a whole other thing too. <laughs> We've been busy, but it's been good. And honestly, like it means a lot to hear someone else who's also doing writing like it. I always say there's like not enough of me (laughs) like I know at a certain point I meet capacity like and I think that's what's really important like for anyone who's potentially listening like hey I might want to do that someday like there are definite there's room for more people at the table Um, I really hope that in our future that next education coach can grow to bring on other people to work with us because I know at a certain point like I'm not gonna be able to service everybody yeah and I you know and that's exciting like I, I want to make sure that we're investing and in bringing on more people and you know letting them be learn how to become the strongest editor writers um, that they could be. So I really look forward to at some point growing my team, but I am always open to collaboration. So if there's ever anything that you think of that we could tag team, I would definitely. I'm sure we could tell. Yeah, I'm happy yeah, to, I, to collaborate on workshops. That's like my jam. I love doing workshops. <laughs> yeah, <no laughs> That's what I did like every week with, with my past job. I just like, I was formal, I was working with McNair for close to five years and then left that position in August to pursue grad school fem touring full-time and move my family abroad and we're leaving soon um so by the time this podcast comes up I'm gonna be like there <laughs> I'm gonna be on the other side of the world but yeah so where, it's where are you guys moving to Portugal oh my gosh how exciting I know I'm, I'm excited and I'm also really nervous <laughs> well I'm gonna visit you <laughs> <laughs> yes please oh my god the <laughs> offer is, is there the, instead you're like seriously if you want like you should come visit <laughs> how long are, is your family supposed to be out there how long are we going to be there um 
technically we're going to see if it's going to be a permanent move. So we're going to try it out for a year. And then if it doesn't work out, we're going to come back to the States. If it does work out, we're going to stay. And, you know, after five years of residency, you can apply to become a EU citizen. So that's so exciting. A ver como nos va. I don't know. I don't know how it's going to go. I'm a little nervous, but um, but this is kind of what I'm trying to pursue. At least for a year, I'm going to try grad school femtoring. Um, I haven't really been putting um, as much of time and energy toward it to do it full time, but I'm hoping once our, our transition is fully done, I'll be able to pursue this full time and take on, like I said, collaborations, workshops, more coaching and um you know keep doing this like the, the podcast i've got a blog that's new so just the more i can kind of expand and collaborate with others the goal is to support as many people as possible um without depleting myself <laughs> yeah no, sure. i am I'm very excited for you i actually had taken an ancestry test and it said that i was like 16 portuguese no way <laughs> Yeah, okay. <laughs> most of us so, have like indigenous and spanish blood but yeah, you not portuguese. yeah but the part <laughs> i have like i'm literally half native and half spanish portuguese and i was okay. like where's that portuguese but it was like significant i was like oh my gosh now i gotta go to portugal and see what it's all about <laughs> wow so that'll be now that I know this, I'll be like, come, come visit your ancestors. <laughs> <You're, you're... laughs> anyway. I know. I'm like, well, this is exciting. Thank you so much. And oh, one more know, thing, I... one more thing. Oh, yeah. We're getting close to wrapping up. I, I don't want people to miss this. So if folks really kind of want to connect with you and resonated with what you shared, how can they be in touch? So any social media handles you'd like to share? Yes. So if you would like to be in touch, definitely follow my Instagram. It's at Latinx education underscore coach. So it's like literally this, um, just with an ad in front of it. And then on Facebook, same thing. It's Latinx education coach. And we do have a website. It's getting revamped, but it's still there. Like the information's all there, but we're getting a prettier one. But for now it's www.latinxedcoach.com. So yeah, there's definitely multiple ways to connect with us. And but following our Instagram and Facebook, you'll be able to see like what workshops we're providing, um, all that good stuff. Not gonna lie, I took a break this month from workshops because we just threw that really big three-day seminar. Um, but we're still open to coaching and editing, we're just taking a little pause on the workshops uh till I can get a little more time to plan the next one. So <laughs> understandable yeah. yeah you don't want to deplete yourself for family for yourself and I like to model that on social media like I do do a lot but you know when I gotta cut back we gotta cut back it's just what it is and I think being honest about that is helpful for other people who are like how do I like you just gotta do it mm -hmm. <laughs> yeah and I love that you said that that is it's not just um it's not just you taking a break, it's also modeling it for others. So um, I think that's important too, as I try to take it easy this last month uh, too, and yeah. hopefully revamp things also coming in the new year. So I will include your social media handles and your website on the show notes for sure. So 
It's well, been a lot of fun chatting with you. <laughs> well, now we know we have all this in common. So I definitely look forward to keeping in touch. And I am excited to see what grad school femtoring continues to do. I mean, you're definitely needed. I'm I still wish... trying to figure it out. I'm no, <laughs> I wish I would have had that resource as I was going through the dissertation process. Um, but I also like, you know, all of us taking these spaces on social media to highlight academics in our community, I think is just so important. Like it, it's good to see a bunch of faces doing this. Um, it, it's it's encouraging. And I think it just, it really changes the narrative about what academics look like. Like we all are academics, there's not one look. And, you know, we have different personalities, different interests, different backgrounds, we could all potentially be Latinx, but it doesn't mean that we've had the exact same experience, but yet we have so much in common. So definitely look forward to continuing getting to know each other better. And hopefully, you know, I'll see you in Portugal. (laughs) (laughs) Hey, you said it, you said it. (laughs) All right. Thank you so much. All right. Bye. Thank you so much for joining me in the Grad School Femme Drawing Podcast. If you liked what you heard, please leave me a review on Apple Podcasts or email me your review at gradschoolfemtouring at gmail.com. You can also show your support by going to gradschoolfemtouring.com and joining my mailing list where you'll receive weekly tips, podcast and blog updates, as well as discounts for my digital downloads, online courses, and much more. One last thing. Don't forget to follow me on Instagram, Facebook, LinkedIn, and Twitter. Until next time.